0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. I'm honored to be with you tonight. And as always, we've got a big show lined up for you, so let's get right after it. Uh, Today, President Donald Trump announced that Sudan is going to start to normalize ties with Israel, making it the third Arab state to do so as part of a U.S.-brokered peace deal in the run-up to Election Day. Now, in recent weeks, the White House oversaw normalization agreements between Israel and both the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. As you'll remember, those agreements were called the Abraham Accords. Now, to put this in perspective, it's important to remember that it's been over a quarter of a century since another Arab country normalized relations with Israel. And the president suggested that other nations might follow suit. The move delivers another foreign policy achievement for the president just days before the United States election. And the deal with Sudan is going to include aid and investment from Israel, particularly in technology and agriculture. The agriculture investment is significant because, as you may know, Israel is one of the world's leaders in significant areas of agricultural technology, especially as regards water use. And part of the agreement also includes Sudan depositing $335 million into an account to pay compensation to victims of the 1998 bombings of the United States embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. Now, I promised you that we'd bring you people with strong voices who, like me, respect your intelligence. And I'm really happy to welcome one of the most thoughtful, respected, substantial radio talk show hosts in the country. He's an expert on the topic of Israel and Jewish history. He happens to be one of my favorite people in the world to talk with and to learn from. Joining us now, folks, is Dennis Prager, host of The Dennis Prager Show. Now, Dennis, I'm going to ask you to put these, these accords in historical perspective. And, and before I do, let me share with the audience that you've written some very powerful books on the book of Genesis, on the book of Exodus. So when I ask you to put this in historical perspective, you're coming with the view that it's both broad and deep. But, but what do these agreements mean for America and for Israel?
2: Well, first of all, let me just say what a joy it is to be with you. You're, on, you're one of my favorite people as well, so... Thank you. Without entering this mutual adulation, but it is true. Thank you. So let me tell you, uh, this is, this. it almost cannot be overstated in its significance. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought Sudan would have been one of the first. Mm-hmm. UAE is a, a remarkable. Bahrain is remarkable. But Sudan, I mean, Sudan was a place where bin Laden lived. Sudan was uh, a has been a a major fomenter of of Islamist extremism, and for them to recognize the existence of the Jewish state, all of this has been made possible by uh, President Trump. What President Trump did, especially by moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, was to state the Palestinians will no longer have a veto over what happens in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Everybody was afraid of the Palestinians, Donald Trump is afraid of no one. He might be a little afraid of Melania, but there's no way to know. But that would be it. That, that would be the extent. That is why uh, he is worthy of respect. The man doesn't fear what the world will say. Uh, as I have often said, uh, world opinion is utterly and totally worthless. World opinion did nothing for Jews in the Holocaust, did nothing for Armenians uh, in their genocide, did nothing for the 80 million Chinese uh, uh, starved by Mao, did nothing for the Ukrainians under Stalin. World opinion is completely worthless. Donald Trump knows it. The left does not. The left genuflects before world opinion. Uh, That is what matters to them. How are we regarded by Le Monde or the New York Times matters to them. It doesn't matter to uh, Donald Trump, so uh, he he single handedly removed the veto psychological and political of the Palestinians over what happens in the Middle East. That's why this happened.
1: Yeah, and let's let's also as we, as we continue to, to kind of look at this from historical perspective, right? American presidents have, ever since Harry Truman, 11 minutes after David Ben-Gurion made his announcement announcing the state of Israel, Harry Truman came in, the United States recognized the state of Israel. American presidents have played a really important role in securing and advancing peace in the Middle East and 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 maintaining the, the security of Israel. From the perspective of history, how would you rank President Trump's legacy in this first term in terms of what he's done for the state of Israel as compared with other presidents? I I believe that Harry Truman is the other uh, equivalent.
2: I would say, interestingly, and I'm not a fan of Richard Nixon as it happens, uh, nevertheless, uh, truth is truth. Uh, Moshe Dayan, the uh, the world famous secretary of the De- Minister of Defense in Israel during the Yom Kippur War, said uh, the the arms that we use in the afternoon to save Israel were sent in the morning by Richard Nixon. Mm. Uh, so, Richard and by the way, Nixon did this against the advice of his Jewish Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Just as, by the way, just as. Truman did it against the entire State Department, the recognition of Israel, and Trump did it against the entire U.S. establishment. These people, Nixon, Truman, and Trump, all acted against
1: the universal advice of the American establishment. And let's talk about that for for a little bit, because as you you point out, not only Nixon did it, Truman did it. I mean, Truman's own Secretary of State, George Marshall, was vehemently against Truman uh, making this move. Donald Trump had the entire mainstream media, the entire foreign policy establishment was against him. Let's talk about why it is that for so long the foreign policy establishment has historically you know, stood against and been a counter to presidents who've made these bold moves on behalf of Israel. It's
2: a very tough call. This is one man's theory. The State Department, uh, I think, numbers actually answers it. How many Arab countries are there? How many Jewish countries are there? There's one Jewish country. There are 23 Arab countries. 56 Muslim countries. So think just of the number of people in the State Department who identify with Arab and with Muslim countries Mm -hmm. versus the number that have any identification uh, with the one Jewish country. The ratio is is like 50 to one. So that, believe it or not, without even any nefarious explanation helps explain it. When you're stationed in a country overwhelmingly, you end up seeing the world in large measure through their eyes more than even through America's eyes. It's inevitable. You're a human being. If you're in France for five years, you you identify with the French. It, It makes perfect sense.
1: Well, Dennis, we we really appreciate you you being with us in, in right right before we go to 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 break, and I know you're going to stay with us uh, afterwards. What do you think in the in twenty seconds or less, what's next on President Trump's agenda for the State of Israel and the u s. relationship?
2: It seems to me that uh, we have here a, a sort of uh, avalanche, a, a, the beginning of an avalanche. When you have, you know, some snowballs going down and then picking up more. I, 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 if Sudan does this with the credentials. Dennis, let's
1: let's pick up on that in just one second right after this break. Folks, stay with us with Dennis Prager. We'll be right back.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery.
1: Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and we continue our conversation with Dennis Prager, one of the most respected radio hosts in the country, president and founder of Prager University. Dennis, before the break, you were talking about how with these agreements with Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, with Sudan, that a really positive avalanche might have been started. Go ahead and finish your, your thought on that.
2: Well, the more Arab and Muslim countries that say we're okay with a Jewish state in the Middle East, the the more public opinion can accept it. Mm-hmm. It's hardest to be the first. It's hardest to be the first to do a bad thing. It's hardest to be the first to do a good thing. People don't like to take risks. But once the bad thing or the good thing is is done, more will do it. That's the reason uh, for, on the bad side, that is the reason for the broken windows theory, that famous uh, uh, idea that, that if, if the police and society allow broken windows and graffiti to go unanswered, you'll ultimately end up with, with robbery, and then ultimately with rape, and then ultimately with murder. Uh, it's hard to start, but once you start, it's like the riots. If I see that they riot in Portland mm. and get away with it, then mm. I'll riot in Chicago and get away with it. Same with good things. If you stick your neck out and do a good thing, that's why I tell people who have have traditional American values, Judeo-Christian values, etc. If you stick your neck out, you will be shocked at how many will join you. Yeah. It's just a. It's very hard though to be the first. So in the Arab world, it's just a, it's just a normal thing uh, in human nature. Now that more have done it, and, and Sudan, I mean, that's really something. This is a huge victory.
1: So that's why I think it will begin an avalanche. And, and Dennis, you know, you touched on the riots. Let's shift gear a little bit from kind of looking overseas to looking back here at home. I encourage everybody to go out to DennisPrager.com to check out some of your your columns. Uh, You've had two recently that I thought were really important. One, you wrote about the fact that civilization is fragile. Um, And you also... I think related column talking about how America is drowning in the lies of the left. Talk with us for a moment about where we're at culturally right now in the United States. America has been different
2: and better only because of its values. There's nothing inherently better to about Americans than any other group. What distinguishes America and has made it exceptional, it's why so many people in the world want to come here uh, has been its values, and we are one generation away, as Ronald Reagan said, of losing them. I'll give you an example that nobody thinks of. The vast majority of people who ever think about it believe that it is instinctive to humans to yearn for freedom. Mm. It is not true. Liberty is a value, not an instinct. The human instinct is to be taken care of, not to be free. People do not yearn to be free. So that's why, by the way, we have a liberty bell. If it were instinctive, there's no breathing bell. (laughs) Uh, We breathe instinctively. There's no sex bell, we have sex instinctively. But there's a liberty bell, because that's not instinctive, that's a value. Sex is not a value, and breathing is not a value, and eating is not a value. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me, that, those are all instincts, but liberty, that must be taught. Give me liberty or give me death is a value. Yes. So uh, we, the left, never, I, I, incredibly my major was leftism. Very few mm-hmm. people. It's very, it worked out extraordinarily valuably in my life. I was at the Russian Institute at Columbia university in graduate school I I studied communism and communist affairs. That was my field of expertise. Hmm. I know the left. Since Lenin, until Soros, there has never been a value on liberty. Mm -hmm. Freedom is not a left-wing value. Social justice is a left-wing value, theoretically. Justice is not. Social justice is. There's a huge difference. That's the reason they added an adjective, but not liberty. And wherever the left
1: gains power, it suppresses free speech like the college. Well, you know, I want to pick up on on two things that, that you mentioned there, Dennis. One is, you know, you talked about President Reagan. One of the things that he made clear and a lot of people have throughout American history is that that value of freedom has to be reaffirmed and has to be fought for in every generation. I grew up in a world where I remembered the Cold War. I remembered the fall of the Berlin Wall. A lot of young people who are out rioting in the streets, they don't remember the Cold War. They have no instinctive recollection of what communism meant, of what socialism is. In Still the Best Hope, you wrote a lot about what actually happened under communism. Let's talk a little bit about the true legacy of communism and the fight that Americans have to wage in this generation to maintain the value of freedom.
2: You made my day telling me you read Still the Best Hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it, I just want to say to, to your viewers, yes. uh, I think it's the best book explaining the left, America, yes. and Islam yes. in one volume. Yes. So Still the Best Hope. Uh, the, the left is the largest part. Uh, I have a video out of PragerU uh, five-minute video. Why Why isn't communism as hated as Nazism? Mm. This has puzzled me since I was a kid, and I obviously hate Nazism as a human, as an American, as a Jew, I hate it. Uh, it's, it's the apotheosis of evil, but communism killed far more people, and maybe if, if Hitler had more time he'd have caught up, but I don't think no. he, you can catch up to the communists. 60 to 80 million in China uh, twenty to forty million in the Soviet Union, uh, the the the, Dennis, uh, about the twenty seconds, please. The, keep the deliberate going, the yeah. genocide of Ukrainians, uh, the ignorance of communism is as awful
1: as ignorance of Nazism. Well, folks, I want to make sure that you get a chance. Go out to Prager University. um, Take a look at all of the videos that are out there. I've learned a lot from them. Please do check out Still the Best Hope. And if you're like me, you'll actually have a whole Dennis Prager uh, bookshelf there. Dennis, we are so grateful to have you on. Thank you for the the historical insight the insight into the culture. We appreciate it. And folks, when we come back, we're going to be talking, moving to our sit rep, our Situation Report, where we're going to be going through the most important stories of the day, why they matter to you and to your family. Stay with us right here at Actionable Intelligence. We're going to be right back. welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. You know, there's a saying we use in the military called the ground truth, and to put it simply, when you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on, you gotta go to the source and talk with the men and women who are out serving on the front lines. Uh, Well, today, in today's field report, big issue is that live entertainment is making a comeback, and not just at the drive-in. One of the exciting things that's happening is that this holiday season, the Oak Ridge Boys are going to be coming back. They've got a residency set up at the Gaylord Opryland Resort in Nashville, Tennessee. They've been outperforming uh, for a while in some socially distanced concerts. And I'm really excited that Joe Bonzel of the Oak Ridge Boys is here with us today. Joe, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Well, thank you, Eric. It's an honor to be with you, man. Let me say first off, thank you for your service, brother. Really appreciate that, man. I've read all up about you, and uh, I know you've done some great things for America, and we need people doing things for America these days.
1: Well, appreciate that, Joe. Thank you, sir. And one of the yeah. things that we need to do is, is raise everybody's spirits. You guys have been out there uh, performing in some, some concerts where you've you know, done some social distancing and stuff. What's that been like for you and your audience to be able to get back out there and, and entertain again?
4: Well, let me reflect back to March 14th. We're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, big sold out show, everything going great. We get on the bus after the show. We're eating sushi, listening to loud music, heading home, having no idea that when the buses got back to Hendersonville, Tennessee, that that would be it. And we didn't sing again until the middle of July. We have only performed. We had 150 dates booked this year. We've performed five times since March 15th. And um, some of them have been a private kind of thing, and a few were socially distanced, as you said, where where they took one big sold-out show yeah, and um, yeah. split it into two shows with social distancing. And um, that's what they're doing at Opryland this year, too. We are so honored to be doing our Christmas tour. Now, you know, we normally do 25 to 30 Christmas shows mm-hmm. a day, uh-huh. a year, all over the country. We've done that for 30 years. We're the Christmas boys. Yes. And, and last year, we agreed with Gaylord Opera Land to do a residency there for Christmas for one, maybe two years. And it was such a blessing because after this COVID thing and after the music industry has basically shut down, had we had those 25 to 30 dates mm-hmm. on the road booked, most of them would have probably canceled. And except for maybe with our luck, one or two, and then with all that production and semis and everything sure. else, uh, we'd have been in trouble. So this is really great. I think this show's gonna go. It's 29 nights at Gaylord Opryland. People come, they eat dinner, they hear a Christmas show from the Oak Ridge Boys. We're at home, so expenses are down, you know? And maybe we can make some money at the end of this year and help heal a little bit of uh, of the of the drought that's been with us all year long. And, uh, you know, anybody in the music industry, man, it don't matter what you sing. If you're a country, rock and roll, hip hop, if you're on Broadway, if you play first chair violin at the symphony, you've been out of work.
1: Yeah, and, and talk, talk with us a little bit, Joe. I mean, one of the things that the Oak Ridge Boys have always done, uh, you are a patriotic band, or really, you're a patriotic team. Um, you've always expressed a real deep love uh, for America. Obviously, a lot of American families, a lot of your fans have been going through some, some hard times. How have you stayed connected to your fans, and what has your message been to them over the course of the past couple of months?
4: Our message has been stay optimistic and prayerful This will eventually pass. We've, we stay in touch with our, our folks, mainly on social networking. You know, I'm on Twitter at Joe Bonds, and yep. we got a big Twitter at Oak Ridge Boys that I take care of. And I just try to keep people encouraged, man. Keep, yeah. keep their spirituality going. Uh, try to stay positive. Let's face it, man. This is a rough one on the country here. I mean, I was just reading the other day about divorce rates and suicide and alcoholism and drug abuse and domestic violence. I mean, all of this stuff is up because... People are locked down, and it's hard. I think a lot of the reason for a lot of the violence we've seen is is pin up stuff with people who have been stuck at home. And America is the greatest country on the face of the planet. We have have the freedom to be and do whatever we want if we're willing to pay the price and work hard. And a lot of that's been stifled. we got to pray that it goes away, man, so everybody can get back to an assimilance of, of normalcy. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. And I know these Christmas shows here every night, and they're selling tickets like mad. If people are going to come here and come to the Gaylord Opryland, and they're going to hear the Oak Ridge Boys sing their Christmas songs and a few hits as well on the stage, man, I just hope it—I think it'll be very emotional, to be honest with you, because people are ready for this, and so are we. I
1: I think so, Joe. I mean, as, as you and I were talking a little bit, I worked with a lot of returning veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan when they came home. When people were in tough circumstances, one of the hardest things for them was isolation, um, what you guys are doing is you're offering people a chance to really come together. And that can be. It can be joyous. It can be supportive. It can be encouraging. Right? There's a chance for people to, to really uh, come together through that, uh, through that entertainment. What is it that you want Americans to know about what we need to do as a country to make it through the next couple of months? Because these are going to be a couple of, of tough months as we head into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season.
4: Well, you know, I thought last spring, getting through April and May, I thought we'd be okay by June. Well, June got weird. And I thought, well, at least by the end of the summer, we'll be back playing the fairs. And then all the fairs went away, the county fairs, the state fairs, the big country music festivals that we were booked on all went away. But but most all of these dates, Eric, are booked back into next year, plus a bunch more. We could have the biggest year ever next year, and so could everybody if we just... I think we need to play by these rules a little bit. I think the masks probably help. It's a little controversial, but man, it don't hurt to put one on. And if it helps, it helps. We're very blessed that all of our families and and all of our guys and our band and our crew and our staff, everybody has come through this healthy so far. And so if social distancing is the answer, if standing on your paper at Publix is the answer, if it helps, do it. But man, we've got to come up with some answer to this virus. And I think the vaccinations may be coming soon. And I think that the president's doing all he can do to get that to happen. And uh, with an election coming up and the social unrest, to me, it's a time when our nation should be pulling together, not pulling apart. We pulled together in times of strife. Man, look at the Great Depression, look at World War II, look at Vietnam and the race riots of the 60s. I lived through all of that. We pulled together as a nation, man. We need to do that now. We need to pull together and we need to support each other. And um, I I really believe that soon this will be in the rearview mirror and we'll all be normal again. That's what I believe. And that's what's maybe kept me through. That plus I got a great wife and a bunch of great cats. (laughs)
1: Look, this this is a great country and every generation has faced challenges and we have always found a way with courage, with compassion, with common sense, with caring for each other. We always have found a way to make it through. Tell me, Joe, what's it like for you personally and for the rest of the band? You've been so used to, for so many years, having that kind of feedback from the crowd. Does this this has to be challenging for you? And I'm sure you're excited about getting out there on a regular basis again.
4: Well, you know, Eric, I joined the Oak Ridge Boys in October of 1973. I was 25 years old. I'm 72 now, and I'm still an Oak Ridge boy. And my guy, the other guys, I'm still the new guy. They've been here longer than me. They're older than me. And maybe even a little uglier. I'm not sure. But I do know this much. We love to sing. But we also love our family and love being home. I have not minded. I've been on the road my whole life. I have not minded the town home. I have hated not making a living at it. I've hated not paying our people. I've hated that everybody's been furloughed or off salary or something like so many other businesses are doing.
1: Well, folks, again, that's Joe Bonzel of the Oak Ridge Boys. Uh, and check them out on social media. You'll see it at Actionable Intelligence, uh, all their show dates. Great Americans. We'll be right back, folks.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and now it's your SITREP. The Situation Report is simply that. It is a clear, concise look at the most important stories in America and around the world. Got a great team here at Just the News and Real America's Voice, and we want to work to bring you every day the information that you need to know in a way that is relevant to you. And with that, let's get into it. Just the News is reporting that Hunter Biden's business partner, partner, Tony Bobulinski, has agreed to hand over documents to the United States Senate. The documents would help authenticate the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. Bobulinski says that a 2017 email recovered from Biden's laptop is accurate. Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were each supposed to receive remuneration, according to the email, and equity in a deal with a Chinese company. Now, in Warrington, Missouri, we'd say that's just establishment politician talk for getting paid. It's also being reported that Bobolinsky will hand over documents to the FBI as well. Uh, Now, we wanted to take a moment to bring attention to a pretty cool project. It's raising awareness of the issue of veteran suicide. By the end of this month, 660 crosses are going to be sitting outside the American Legion in Howell Township, New Jersey, thanks to an idea from the Veterans Refuge Network. That's 22 crosses a day. Already hundreds of crosses have been installed in an attempt to bring awareness to the issue of veteran suicide. Now, as you may remember, President Trump just signed a bill earlier this week to help prevent veteran suicide by providing additional resources and support for mental health. And as a reminder, if you are a veteran, or you're a loved one of a veteran, and you need help, you can always call the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Now, as we take a look around the world, Just the News is following an investigation into a ransomware attack on America's election infrastructure. As the FBI and National Intelligence are warning voters that there have now been at least two instances where Russian and Iranian state-sponsored hackers have targeted state and local governments and have stolen data. Now that, of course, is according to U.S. national security officials and we'll be keeping an eye on that story here. Now, big tech, it turns out, may have to answer questions about their censorship soon. Senate Republicans authorized subpoenas for testimony from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. The Senate Judiciary Committee subpoenas come as the tech giants are facing criticism for censoring stories regarding Hunter Biden's laptop. Some GOP members have gone so far to call this practice of censorship a form of election interference. Zuckerberg and Dorsey are already scheduled to testify before the Senate Commerce Committee on October 28th. And covering these stories and others for us here at Just the News is Sophie Mann. We are very grateful to have her in studio with us. Sophie, thanks so much for being with
0: us. Thank you for having me.
1: Lots of big news at justthenews.com. Very true. Tell us about just a couple of these stories that you've
0: been working on. Sure. So let's start with, um, as you mentioned, Iran and Russia uh, sort of jumping back into the same sort of election interference we saw four years ago during the 2016 cycle and has remained enough of a political talking point to remain a salient issue. for the election that is just eleven days away, yeah. so as we as we heard earlier this week from DNI John Ratcliffe and um, Chris Ray, the director of the FBI. Um, Iran has managed to get their hands on some amount of American voter registration, and what they've been doing with that information is they've been sending out emails to American voters to try to scare them into the idea that their votes are not going to be legitimate. Um, they've been sending issues masquerading themselves as the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. um, you know, es- effectively issuing warnings saying if Donald Trump doesn't win, be prepared for violence in your cities, be prepared for chaos, be scared effectively. Yeah. Um, and uh, DNI Radcliffe said, um, I believe on Wednesday evening, he said, these don't look very real. Most Americans will not believe they are real. But it is jarring to, to have that sort of a thing land in your inbox, um, especially at a moment when we're seeing a lot of political discourse from both sides of the aisles about the legitimacy of, of the forthcoming election.
1: Yeah, it's certainly it's jarring to have people get this kind of email, and it's probably even more jarring to now learn that these are coming from Iran, coming from Russia. What does your reporting indicate about the potential motivations? I mean, why are Iran and Russia engaged in this? What are their motivations
0: That's a good question. Um, each of our foreign adversaries, as you know, have slightly different interests yeah. uh, from Iran. we don't have any hard intelligence at the moment, but the speculation in the community is certainly that um they are they're rooting for a Joe Biden victory um on the third they and we, we again we don't know the exact motivation of that but uh it certainly could have something to do with the nuclear accords that were um legislated under the Obama administration that President Trump pulled out of two years ago. Uh, There is every possibility that a Biden administration would attempt to rejoin that sort of agreement. Um, We know that we uh, this past weekend, um, the arms embargo, the UN arms embargo against Iran lapsed. And there's some sort of talk in the Western world and among Iran's neighbors about what's going to happen now. So Iran is sort of positioning themselves to move forward in a way that makes sense for them and their nuclear arsenal um, and capabilities. And this very well could just be a leg of that attack, sort of, and that um, strategic move forward.
1: Yeah. Now, a couple of other big stories at Mm -hmm. Just the News. Uh, You, John Solomon, uh, the whole team at Just the News have really. been been pushing, I think courageously, you guys have done a great job, breaking these stories about Hunter Biden's laptop. On Mm -hmm. this program, we've had Rudy Giuliani on, we've had Bernie Kerik on, to talk about not just what these emails reflect about Hunter Biden, but more importantly, about this alleged scheme to profit from Joe Biden's time as Vice President of the United States, possibly being lobbied by Hunter Biden, what's what's the latest?
0: Well, so the latest um, is as you say, John Solomon is hardworking yes. on these issues every day. We saw, we saw this touched upon a little bit in last night's final yes. presidential debate. The question really becomes not, you know, the personal issues that go on in the Biden family. Everybody has sure. them; they're embarrassing. We we cover them to the extent that we feel is appropriate, but. Moreover, Joe Biden, potentially our next president's connections to China, yes. um, both in his role as as vice president of the United States, in addition to his role in the aftermath of, of 2017, preparing to run for the 2020 cycle. Um, so I think that the thing to focus on here is really sort of Joe's the amount of knowledge that Biden had specifically as it pertains to these business dealings. Um, and then we also have to pay attention as, as the election is coming up very fast that, um, you know, certain social media sites have been, have been censoring this story. So it's yes. important to just pay attention to that, uh, the information that we do have access to.
1: I think it's one of the reasons why here at Real America's Voice and on justthenews.com, we want to make sure that you are getting these stories because so often the mainstream media is not bringing you the full story. You can always get the facts here.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: The United States has been engulfed in the twin crises of coronavirus and riots. With an election looming, our attention has been focused on the home front. But the world has kept turning. And in one of the most important treaties to be signed in a generation, Israel and the United Arab Emirates secured a historic agreement to normalize relations. Then Bahrain signed a similar agreement. Two Arab nations have normalized relations with Israel. Both agreements were brokered by the United States. The last Arab country to reach a similar agreement with Israel happened over a quarter century ago. Now today, both UAE and Bahrain have committed to the exchange of ambassadors with Israel, and already they've begun cooperation on a broad range of fields. For the last 75 years, the quest for peace in the Middle East has been a major focus of the foreign policy of every American administration. And with these two agreements, President Trump's administration has advanced the cause of peace among Israel and her neighbors. And yet, these historic achievements have been almost completely overlooked by the mainstream media. Now, this isn't the first time in American history that an American president took strong action on behalf of Israel. In 1947, facing one of the most consequential and long-lasting decisions of his presidency, President Harry Truman recognized the new state of Israel. In retrospect, it was a strong and bold move, but at the time, members of the media, political opponents at home, and members of Truman's own team opposed the move. Truman's presidency was marked by bold action. The recognition of Israel, the decision to drop the atomic bomb and end World War II, the Berlin airlift, the desegregation of the armed forces, the Marshall Plan, the firing of MacArthur. Truman was hated and harangued by much of the press. He was falsely accused of corruption. His colleagues in the administration were called Truman's crooks and cronies. Truman, a bold president, was called names and he was attacked in the media, constantly. Sound familiar? And when Truman left the presidency, after years of vicious and unfair attacks, he had the lowest approval rating ever recorded of any president at 22%. Today, he is recognized as one of the greatest presidents in American history. Truman's bold decision to support the Jewish State of Israel in its infancy, following so soon on the heels of the Holocaust, Served to recreate a Jewish homeland at a time of maximum peril for the Jewish people. Truman's recognition of Israel, issued a mere 11 minutes after David Ben Gurion's historic declaration of independence, is a decision that has stood the test of time. You know, in an age awash with political rhetoric, it can be hard to see the solid rock of achievement. President Trump boldly and properly moved the American embassy to Jerusalem. And now, these two historic peace agreements, brokered by America, serve to further strengthen the state of Israel and create a more peaceful Middle East. They're a reminder that even in the face of problems which seem insurmountable and gaps which seem unbridgeable, people determined to find a peaceful way forward can, despite the noise, despite the criticism, the animosity of naysayers and the negativity of the media, bold leaders can find a way. And we have. Today, America is stronger for it, and so is our ally, Israel. This is a country built by real American heroes, and here on Actionable Intelligence, we always stop to honor the men and women who serve on the front lines. We share stories of courage and sacrifice, of sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, friends and neighbors. Today's hero is Robert Daniel Bailey Jr., Bailey is a double Purple Heart recipient. One was bestowed for being wounded, the other for spending 33 months as a prisoner of war in Korea, nearly three years as a prisoner of war. After raising three kids, Bailey suffered a debilitating stroke. But with the help and love of his hero, his wife, Clara Jean, he lived a full life with his family for two more decades before passing earlier this year. Sergeant Bailey and Clara Jean, we remember you. And for your family and your service and your sacrifice and your patriotism, we say thank you. Folks, to nominate a hero, reach out to our team at action at justthenews.com. And finally, folks, while the debate may be over, the fight for the White House continues. President Trump is hitting the campaign trail with vigor. And in the next three days, the president's going to hold six campaign rallies in five different key battleground states. Now, the president has already completed one of his rallies for today that happened in Florida. On the president's docket later, another stop in Florida tonight. Tomorrow, he'll travel to North Carolina, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And on Sunday, he'll be in New Hampshire. And of course, you can catch each and every one of those rallies here on Real America's Voice. Coverage is going to start tonight, right after the show. Stay right with us. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence, and now let's take a look at one of the stories making headlines today at JustTheNews.com. Secretary of Veterans Affairs Robert Wilkie was in to talk with Carrie Sheffield about the care that veterans received in VA nursing homes during the coronavirus pandemic. Check out the story and all of the facts at JustTheNews.com. And sticking with veterans tonight, I'd like to share something pretty cool with you tonight before we go. Now, we all know there's no better way to honor a legendary guitarist than to pick up the guitar yourself. Well, after the death of legendary rocker Eddie Van Halen, who at 65 lost a battle with cancer on October the 6th, Army Staff Sergeant Austin West took to the web to share a live tribute in honor of the late musician on Facebook. Check it out. a little can-do Army spirit. All you need is a truck tire, a concrete wall, and a guitar for a little concert. West was quoted as saying that he was trying to show his respect with the tribute and that he hopes the people enjoyed the music and also feel inspired. Uh, the 26-year-old Army sergeant has been playing for 13 years, and he did a tour with the United States Army Soldier Show in 2015. Clip already has over a million views and hundreds of comments. Sergeant West, good for you, man. And before we sign off, a quick quotation from Benjamin Disraeli, former prime minister of the UK. Action may not always bring happiness, but there's no happiness without action. It's been great to be with you. Take care now.